Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and thank you for listening. I always appreciate our time together. Matter of fact, I can hardly wait every day. I love coming and spending this time with you. If you are uh, um, new to Faith Radio, boy, we'd love to get a new uh, welcome packet into your hands. Go to MyFaithRadio.com, and it pops right onto the screen, and it says, hey, we'll send you a welcome packet. So all you have to do is fill out the form, and we'll drop it in the mail to you. Um, I love this... um, passage from 2 Timothy 3.16, and all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what we know about God's Word. All of it is God-breathed, and all of it is useful. It teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, and it trains us. And Joshua, the first chapter, verse 8, I don't know if you've memorized this verse or not, but it's certainly worth memorizing Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And I'm just thinking of Hebrews 4.12 too, for it says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So really the question that I want to ask is how much time per day or maybe per week or maybe um, you're you're giving to God's Word. You're you're saying I'm going to commit to reading God's Word. I'm going to I'm going to say an hour a day, a half hour a day, 20 minutes a day. How much time are you spending and committing? I think we can all be fairly distracted, me included. Uh, I can be very distracted by digital stuff. I can uh, get online and I can surf around to some websites and I can think to myself, boy, I just wasted 45 minutes. And I don't know if I really walked away with anything. But if I open God's Word and spend 45 minutes on those three verses and I I work on memorizing those three verses, um, that goes into into my heart. That goes into my heart and my mind, and it's right on the tip of my tongue, and the Holy Spirit can then bring it to my attention the minute I need it, um, because I need to be reminded that not to let the book of the law depart from my mouth. I need to meditate on it day and night, and I need to be careful to do everything that's written therein. I think there's the idea that if we are obedient to God's Word, we will be um, at peace. We will be right with God. We will be at peace. And the Bible also says we'll be prosperous and successful. And whatever that means, um, I love living in prosperity and success. Um, Not worldly success necessarily, but uh, spiritual prosperity, spiritual success, where God will allow me to be effective in ministry. God will allow me to have uh, meaningful conversations with people where 
we talk about God's Word. I can share my faith. I can listen to them. I can hear uh, the faith journey they've gone through because I think that's so key to, to listening to people. Uh, tell me about the God you rejected because quite often they'll be quick to tell you about the experience they had. Maybe it was when they were 13 and somebody important to them died or got cancer or their dad went away or whatever, and then they felt instantly damaged. And they can tell you about that God, and you'll find some common ground because that's not the God of Scripture. That's not the God that we know and love. Um, So I wonder how much time are you going to spend? Have you given that thought? Have you uh, made any commitments to a daily or a weekly time to grow in God's Word? So that's just something to chew on. We'll take a little break and be right back in just a minute. With every back-to-school sign comes that back-to-school dream, and not the one about having tater tots every day. The one you have about your kids getting the best teachers and the best instruction to equip them for life. Here at Faith Radio, we take that dream very seriously for you because we're all growing as people. So as you listen, you'll find the best Christ-centered teaching and preaching from the best teachers possible. It's our commitment to you. And this class is always in session. Faith Radio. Worshiping Christ together. Faith Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm always delighted to talk to my friend, Alex McFarland. Uh, You can find him at alexmcfarland.com. That's A-L-E-X-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. He is a... uh, religion and culture expert. He's a national talk show host. He's authored 20 books and then some, and he's also the creator of the Truth for a New Generation, which is an apologetics conference, and it's fantastic. Alex, welcome to the show. A big fan of Bill Arnold and your program. Ah, thank you so much. So, you know, I was thinking about uh, when celebrities come to faith and uh, you know, all of a sudden, there's always this interest in celebrities when they have a spiritual awakening of any kind. And I, I kind of always start back with 1979, Bob Dylan, born-again believer. And then two years yeah. later, he said, I'm kind of done with that. I think people tried to put him in the spotlight too soon. They tried to parade him out as this born-again believer, and I think they should have let him just kind of disciple him for five years. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, the the spiritual status of Bob Dylan, uh, or really the spiritual status of anybody, I mean, only the Lord knows. And uh, we we hope that when somebody makes a profession of faith, they're sincere and they're, they're never going to fall away. Um, but, you know, I, I really think the litmus test is not only continuing in the faith, and the Bible talks about continuing in the apostles' doctrine— and the, the Greek word is paradosis, which really means the, the teachings of the gospel. And we can talk about what those are. But, but another litmus test, Bill, is really fidelity to the Word of God 
even the parts of the Word of God that can be controversial or out of favor at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, my goodness, it, it would be hard to think of a more volatile uh, position to take in any generation than, than like right now, especially as it relates to what the Bible has to say about morality and human sexuality. So thank God when celebrities find Jesus ostensibly, but let's hope that if they really have, they'll they'll stick with the true gospel, even in the controversial passages. Mm-hmm. I love this line. You said, the world is searching for religious gratification and wants it to be flashy, entertaining, and memorable. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, I was writing about Kanye West. Uh, it began at Coachella. It's gone on to some services at his home. Uh, Kanye and some of his uh, friends have been having a church service, a type of church service. And, you know, I, I watched a video, maybe many of your listeners did too, of uh, somebody praying at Kanye's home in a church service. And, I mean, it was in Jesus' name. It was as good as or as edifying and mm-hmm. biblical as anything you'd hear at an evangelical. I mean, listen, God loves the down and outs. God loves the up and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, people in the entertainment industry or any industry. But I, I guess I would just say, um, if you're going to embrace Jesus, wonderful, but take the Word of God in its entirety. And even those things that would get you blacklisted in Hollywood, like standing against homosexuality mm-hmm. or transgenderism. I mean, if if we want the salvation of Jesus, we also have to take the Lordship which means that Christ and his word govern our lives and behavior. Yeah, and Alex, celebrities certainly have a a potentially gigantic platform and a gigantic opportunity to uh, bring the true gospel. I don't know if I I see it very often because the the risk is high, and I don't know if a lot of people are willing to say, I'm putting my career completely in the backseat because I care only about the gospel. Yeah. You know, I think about um, Brian Welch that was, I mm-hmm. believe, in the band Corn yes. back in the 90s. And he, you know, um, basically said, hey, you know, the music business can be what it is, but I'm I'm going to follow Jesus. Um, that That's the test when, you know, I think about in John chapter, I mean, Luke chapter 4, when um, Peter, James, and John left their boats, forsook all, and followed him. I mean that was their means of income that was their that was their career and they left it all behind to follow Jesus. I mean that's a, a truly changed life isn't it when they'll follow Christ even if it if there's a, a very high cost to it. Mhm. It's a great illustration Alex. I I I have not connected those two dots. Uh, someone maybe in Hollywood with a big career and then the fishermen leaving their business to go follow Jesus. It's the same thing isn't it? So um, when we um, think of celebrities and they they send out their messages um, and, you know, it's perceived that they're having this spiritual awakening, uh, we can't we can't always trust that what they're saying is going to be biblically based and biblically solid. Uh, So what what do we tell what are you telling young kids today who love these celebrities? We've got to measure everything by the Word of God. We've got to measure everything by Scripture uh, and to make sure that it squares up with with what the the Bible says. 
And I couldn't agree more. Um, so l- let me ask you, when you encounter kids today and you're spending a lot of time doing youth camps and you're, you're talking to kids and they are attracted to the things that are hip and cultural and they maybe want to be like some of their their idols or celebrities. Idols is the wrong word, but uh, role models. Um, yeah, and, sure. and those people are really not living for the Lord. Um, how do we give them a sense of reality that this is all sort of make-believe, but your life, your faith, your day is not theirs, and you need to put your faith and trust in Christ and Him alone? Well, you know, it's interesting. During adolescence, when when we pick role models and, you know, heroes, hero worship, whether they be sports figures or entertainment figures, musicians, um, very often kids will get really defensive if you critique a music or something like that because, see, kids think that, you know, I like this person's music. I like this band's music. They understand me. They get me. They speak to who I am. In reality, the the band doesn't know you. The band can't lay down their life and die for you. Mm-hmm. And half the time, the music is just made. It's manufactured anyway. It's written by a team of people that crank out, you know, um, manufactured um, pop level art. You know, I, I would say to a lot of young people that that celebrity or that musician. That, that you would almost die for right now at age 15, by the time you're 20 to certainly 30, you're not even going to be listening to that anymore. It's going to fall behind. Uh, it's temporal. Mm-hmm. And don't don't sacrifice that which is eternal for that which is temporal. And, uh, I mean, there were, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, I mean, people were in love with, you know, obviously the, the celebrities back then and, Certainly none were bigger in the 60s than the Beatles, and they actually made some music that was legitimate art. But, my goodness, it's so forgotten today. I mean, um, Bill, I was speaking at a college back in the spring, and a college student asked me, they said, you know, the Beatles, were they really as great as everybody said? And I asked the audience, I said, quick, 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 can anybody name three Beatles songs? And I said, now, don't Google it. I mean, but from memory. Mm -hmm. And from from different parts of the audience, we came up with three Beatles songs. Of course, I could name like 30 probably, but um, it, no one person could. And I said, look, the Beatles were legitimately recognized as art, and yet their music is rapidly being forgotten. Mm. And so if, if one of the greatest celebrity uh, institutions of all time is, is going to be gone and forgotten very soon, don't sacrifice your soul for, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, that which is temporal. Jesus not only is eternal and forever, he laid down his life for us, something no celebrity ever has done or even could do. So just uh, get a little bit of perspective on your ferocious loyalty to that beloved band of the moment. I agree. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We'll take a little break and we'll rejoin him in just 90 seconds. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. And go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex. But 
If you listen to my show, you know that he's on uh, regularly, and he is a religion and culture expert. He's talked, uh, written over 20 books, and he's just an all-around great guy. Um, Jesus Christ is the, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? That's right. Yeah, so case in point, you know, when you're, when you're asking your, your class uh, that you were speaking to, uh, Beatles songs, I said to uh, Sierra, who produces the show right now, I said, Sierra, would you uh, get that Rocky song up? And she said, what is that? I go, Rocky, the movie Rocky. Can you just get that, that song? She goes, I've never heard of that. I said, wow. well, what, 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 what about what, Sylvester gonna Stallone? Fly now, the, the Bill Conti song, yeah. Gonna Fly yeah. Now? Yeah, I said, well, what, you know, Sylvester Stallone. And she said, well, I, I don't know who that is. Wow. Isn't she, that something? Yeah, and she's 23. So yeah. um, y- it is. You are forgotten quickly. You you really are. And, you know, uh, I was talking to an apologetics scholar who's a friend of mine, um, and we were talking about books and everything. And what what's maybe hard for people, say, under 40 to realize. And, Bill, I, I'm 55. How old are you, Bill, if you don't um, mind me asking? No, I'm 61, but I read at a 62-year-old level. Excellent. Yeah, I'm, Excellent. I'm a little bit ahead of my, my, my group. Well, you, you and I are pretty much in the same, you know, cultural genre. Yeah. The 20th century absolutely was the age of celebrity, you know, from uh, the first presidents like, you know, people like Woodrow Wilson and Teddy Roosevelt that were able to broadcast on radio Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, uh, FDR. And then there was, you know, vaudeville and then the movies came along. And then, of course, post-World War. And, you know, sociologists have written about really the birth of adolescence. I mean, you know, throughout history, people have gone from you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, and, and onward. But after World War II, there was the baby boom. There was the housing boom. There was the really the explosion of the automobile. But in the early to mid-50s was the explosion of something sociologists call youth culture. Mm-hmm. And there was, I mean, we really, mid-20th century onward, exploded into the age of celebrity. And for the first time really in history, the youth had their own fashion, their own music, their their own culture. From, you know, Elvis, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly to, you know, the British invasion of the sixties. And and Bill, I mean, the reason I'm kind of setting this up is don't you remember the times like when when your your band, I mean, if you if you were a Beatle person, you weren't a Rolling Stones person or vice versa. Exactly. You know, and when the the band um, of your choice was going to release an album, I mean, it was a huge deal. And my sister, who's a little older than me, and and I got a a lot of my musical knowledge from my sister, but, I mean, when, uh, you know, John Denver was going to put out a record or the Eagles, Mm -hmm. you know, or somebody like that, I mean, it was a huge, huge deal. And uh, would you have believed, because... You know, you're a little older than me, and you remember what a cultural juggernaut Bob Dylan was, or the Huge. Birds, Roger Huge. McGuinn. Yes. Would you have ever believed we'd get to a point, like when I can speak at a university, and, I mean, kids, they don't know who the Beatles were. They don't know who, um, you know, Bob Dylan was. They they don't know a lot of the cultural earmarks that you and I would have thought were timeless and eternal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, even like Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, and and I'm not talking smack on younger people uh, necessarily, but a knowledge base 
that was just an expected knowledge base, whether it be uh, Western culture, Martin Luther, the Reformation, the Pilgrims, the Mayflower, Plymouth Rock, the Founding Fathers, the Constitutional Convention, um, the you know Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, Billy Graham. Let me just say this, Bill. Charlotte, North Carolina, hometown of Billy Graham. About two years ago, I met a church. It was a very contemporary church, and it was a church plant that has done wonderfully, huge, and it's great. But the, the founding pastor, who was about 31, we were just talking about stuff, and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a group of teens over to the Billy Graham Museum, which is in Charlotte. And by the way, I highly recommend you go. It's phenomenal. He said, yeah, yeah, Billy Graham. He said, like, now, I get it. He's a big deal. I should know this. But now, who is he? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not ripping on the guy. I mean, he's like a 31-year-old pastor doing a great work. Yeah. But isn't it amazing that kingdoms rise and fall, famous people come and go, and the longer I live, the more I realize, Hebrews thirteen eight that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if if the world would forget the Beatles and Billy Graham, you know, heaven help the rest of us. Let's build our life on the name that will never be forgotten through time and eternity, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Uh, well said. Um, I think there was a conversation that um, Conan O'Brien was having, um, and I think, I can't remember who he was talking to. Maybe it was Albert Brooks, and he was talking about how he wanted to have a piece of, of history as a talk show host, and he wanted, um, you know, his place in... in uh, uh, in the record books, and and Albert Brooks said, "Come on, Clark Gable was the face of the 20th century. Whoever thinks about Clark Gable?" Yeah, exactly, e- exactly. Um, y- you know, I was in uh, Cadiz or Cadiz, Ohio, K A D I Z, and um, I was at a stoplight, and I was on my way. I was up there to speak, and um, my wife was with me, and uh, I knew my mom. This was before my mom passed, and she was a big Gone with the Wind Clark Gable fan, and she had seen, you know, It Happened One Night, which in 1939 was nominated for Best Picture by Clark Gable and, uh, what was the name, Colbert, mm-hmm. Claudine Colbert. Anyway, so I see this little marker, and there's this very nondescript house, and it was the birthplace of Clark Gable. And and I pulled the car over, and I got out, and it said, The King of Hollywood, Clark Gable. And uh, I, you know texted it to my mom, and I was like, oh, I saw Clark Gable's birthplace. But anyway, later at the church, I showed that to one of the locals um, right there in the same town. I said, hey, I saw this landmark birthplace of Clark Gable. And this person said, do what now? What is that? They didn't even know. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. But we can know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We can make that decision today to follow him. Alex, thank you so much for doing the show. Hey, man, thank you so much. Look forward to our next talk. To, uh, well, indeed, and yeah. uh, you know, onward, Christian soldiers talks about kingdom, kingdoms rise and wane, but there's one kingdom that's eternal, and that's the kingdom of of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Dr. Alex McFarland's been my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com to see more about uh, him and learn about his books. We'll take a short break and then be back with Dr. Ian Paul.
Welcome back to the show. I'm always looking forward when I get a chance to talk to Dr. Ian Paul. He's a theologian. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a consultant, uh, professor at Fuller Seminary, and he's also an associate minister at St. Nick's, Nottingham. And uh, he uh, also is a chocolatier, and he happens Mm. to be uh, enjoying his day to some degree um, in maybe one of the hottest days of the year at his uh, at his home where it's 38 degrees Celsius. And if I do the math, that's about 100 degrees Fahrenheit without air conditioning. So you're going the extra mile, Ian. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be with you, Bill. Yeah, so you're in your study, and do you have any cross-ventilation coming through the study? I, I don't, actually. We, we live in an old, uh, quite an old building. It's built in 1850, and it's got sort of heritage uh, features to it. And I just discovered today that my... A window in my study uh, was painted closed last time it was decorated, and it's got a security bolt in. I don't have the key. So uh, <laughs> at the moment, I, I can't open the window, but I've got a key being delivered tomorrow, so it'll all be fine then. Yeah. And now, what is it about people in the UK that don't like air conditioning or don't have enough of it? Well, uh, number one, it's expensive. Number two, it's not so good for the environment because it uses energy. Number three, do you know, most of the time we don't need it. When it's 20 degrees and rain, raining, That's you just true. don't need air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. So it's quite an expense, so, and, uh, and it's just... It's like days like this, you wish you had it. Just days like this. We don't get them too often, though. This is the second hottest um, day on record ever in the UK. Wow, that's a hot one. So It is. Yeah, it is. yeah. so thanks for uh, sweating through this interview. I will try to make it as easy <laughs> as I can on you. Um, you wrote a great, uh, a great story or a great uh, article uh, on your website. Um, and mm. pronounce your website. Uh, well, I say Cefidzo. Cefidzo. It's, it's got a silent P at the beginning, like pneumatic because they both come from a Greek word. So uh, pneumatic is to do with air in your tires uh, or the, the breath of the spirit, pneumos, uh, and uh, pneuma rather. And sephidso uh, is the Greek word, which is still used in, in modern day Greek. Uh, it means it means two things, really. It's to do with the word sephos, um, which is a pebble. And uh, in the ancient world, pebbles were used both for calculating things, for doing sums like a, on an abacus, but they were also used for voting in political rallies and that kind of thing. So. Uh, and, and in a sense, my, my blog is really picking up on those two things. So one is, you know, on the one hand, we've got to work things out. Sometimes, you know, the Christian faith isn't entirely straightforward. And you have to think quite hard about some things and mm-hmm. uh, what, what Scripture is saying and how do, you make, how do we make sense of it when we live in a very different time and culture. And on, on the other hand, sometimes we just have to stand up to be counted. We have to show that, you know, we vote for Jesus. So so Sefidzo really kind of covers those, those two kinds of ideas. Yeah. And just uh, to give our listeners a chance to... Uh hear that spelled it's p-s-e-p-h-i-z-o.com that's the one yeah i yeah. say z-o but yeah z-o for you <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> but, but if they want to find me it's an awful lot easier just to search for ian paul blog you don't have to type any greek in you know that's, at all. that's way easier and thanks for uh, mentioning <laughs> thanks for mentioning that as well um you're thinking well despite the heat um anyway the article you wrote is does your faith have a crumple zone and that instantly caught my attention and i thought I wonder if Ian would be willing to talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Am I right in thinking, Bill, you you like cars? I love cars. Okay, so you know about crumple zones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I've always been fascinated. I mean, actually, before I did theology, I was a a maths major, uh, and so I'm always interested in sort of maths and science-y kind of things. And uh, I found it really fascinating that um, uh, when cars were first built, when people were concerned about car safety— they thought, well, okay, what are we going to do? If, if, if the car has an accident, if it, if it collides with something with another car or with a, uh, with a wall or, or, or some kind of accident, how do we keep the people in the car safe? 
and I guess the logic was that, well, you know, if we make this car as solid and rigid as possible, that's going to protect the people who are in passengers who are inside it. But of course, what they found out very well, quite soon, although people didn't really realize the consequences for, for quite, quite a long time, um, was that actually if you have a really rigid chassis in your car, when it strikes something, then the shock of the, of the, of the impact actually would be transmitted right through the car and it immediately damages or kills your passengers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so actually quite early on in the, in the uh, whole industry of car design, in about 1937, there was uh, a European engineer and he re recognized this is the wrong thing to do. So he invented this thing called a crumple zone. So now modern cars are not built on a rigid chassis. They're built with the, the, the front end. Now we're gonna get into some cross-Atlantic terminology here, aren't they? I would call it the, the bonnet. What do you call the front of the car with the engine in? The hood? Mm, yeah, the hood. Okay. So in, in modern cars now, that whole area is not built rigidly. It's built, you know, out of quite a soft structure. And again, the rear, uh, I call that, I want to call that the boot. Mm -hmm. uh, is that the trunk? The trunk for you guys. Yeah, yeah, it'd be the trunk for us. Yeah. So, and that area also is built of soft metal so that if you do have an impact, actually those things give way quite quickly and they absorb the energy. And then what you have between them is you do have a fixed rigid cell. And what that means is that when a car has an impact, uh, then the energy of the impact is absorbed in this crumple zone. And so those bits of the car, which you know you can survive without for the moment, uh, they are dispensed with, they, they take the shock, but the passengers in the middle are protected. And uh, it actually took quite a long time, although this idea was invented in 1937, it didn't really become widespread, I think, in, in car manufacture until the 1970s, 1980s or so. Mm -hmm. um, so you still find cars today. I just went out with a friend and a, he, he built a kit car, an AC Cobra, uh, which is a little sports car. Oh, we, yeah. we went for it yesterday, which was great fun. But I was a bit nervous because I know that doesn't have a crumple zone. You know, if we had an accident, <laughs> we'd, we'd really feel it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's just a really interesting principle. And it's, my thoughts would... Yeah, sorry. No, 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 continue. I never, yeah, I mean, I never want to interrupt you. <laughs> well, I just hope I've got the technology right there and you know, my understanding of it. But the, the reason why I was really struck by that is because um, I read a couple of days ago uh, a really moving article by a woman called Laura Turner. Mm -hmm. And um, she's the daughter of John Ortberg, who many people, many of your listeners will have heard of. He's a quite a well-known writer and teacher in the States. And uh, she and her friends grew up in Willow Creek, Willow Creek Church. And the article, she's now in her 30s, and the article was reflecting on how was it that she and her contemporaries had, who'd been raised and nurtured, you know, in really strong faith through their teen years, uh, and uh, they'd been taught well, and they'd been taught to share their faith. And actually now, 15, 20 years later, they've all ended up, ended up in such different places. In fact, many of them uh, have lost faith completely. And uh, she, she just goes through the story of what it was like then, what happened in between times and, and, and how come they've ended up in, in such different places. And I think part of that was that they experienced um, the, the kind of equivalent of a car crash for their faith. They'd, they'd, they'd hit something, they'd come up against something, uh, uh, something disappointing, or uh, they discovered that life wasn't quite how they thought it was. And that had been a real shock to them. And it felt to me as though for many of them, their faith had been like a car with a chassis. And when their, their faith, when that car had hit something, Instead of the, the 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 car absorbing the energy, instead of their faith absorbing that, and 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 them being their faith being kept intact, it had been like being one of those old cars with a chassis, and the shock of it had reverberated right the way through. And as a result, for them, you know, their faith was a, a casualty. Mm -hmm. 
And in the article, it talks about uh, the an incident in particular where mm. one of the high school kids from their group, who was maybe as as, as enthusiastic about her faith as anyone, uh, yeah. ended up uh, taking her own life. Yeah, yeah. and of course yeah. that was, that was... A, a shattering experience. And and again, there was, um, yeah. it, it divided the group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and clearly, something happened for her. I mean, I think. You know, it's not a situation I know of. We always need to be really cautious when we're talking about these kinds of situations. And, and, and I think the first thing is to recognize what an absolute tragedy that was for her, mm-hmm. for her family and for her friends. But the way the article was written, the implication was given that actually, you know, she she discovered something where she found that that her faith, that the, the sort of faith package that she had, there was an area where she suddenly discovered that it, 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 it didn't work out like that, that, that there were times when, you know, she expected to see God at work or to see God's goodness. And, and something happened which began to gnaw away at her. And, and tragically, she took her own life. And then that had reverberations, as you say, in the in the lives of those who knew her. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some, and I think for some of them as well, it uncovered things where they had questions that they hadn't been able to explore, and suddenly that that opened up those those questions for them, and suddenly they found the whole the whole thing, the whole edifice of their faith, the whole vehicle of their faith was, you know, in real trouble. I, I think it's really important to just to note as well, although um, this person Laura Turner was talking about Willow Creek Church, I don't say that in any particular as any particular criticism of this church. You know, I I went to. Um, uh, a conference, uh, a Willow Creek Church conference many years ago. And, you know, I worked in a church where we we learned lots from Willow Creek and from their teaching about leadership and about church growth. Um, but I, I recognize this kind of thing actually happen, can happen in all sorts of different churches and different church traditions. So, Ian, what I'd love to talk about is, you know, what does all this have to do with, you know, our Christian life and discipleship? Because I, I know that there are uh, some things that we can do to connect the dots. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I found it really interesting. I was just, uh, while I was thinking about this interview, Bill, I was just going to writing down to myself, you know, what are the times when I've had a kind of a real thing, which has sh- shocked my faith. And as I wrote these things down, I, saw, I suddenly realized it's an, it's ever such a long list. I mean, I'm <laughs> in my fifties now, so, you know, I've, had, I've been around, around the block a bit, but, mm-hmm. but, but actually I've over the years had some really major challenges to my faith. I mean, I remember when I, I came to faith as a teenager, uh, and actually, only three or four years after I first came to faith, I had a real blow in the sense of it, it sounds slightly strange, but I just one one day I can remember the day when it happened that suddenly this sense of assurance that God was with me and life was straightforward, and I could just read the scriptures and 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 God would speak to me, and I could I, I was really disciplined about praying for everybody, all my friends. Some, suddenly, something just disappeared, and suddenly it just felt as though. I didn't sense God's presence anymore, and it took me a long time to to really work that through. Right through, through uh, I had a, a year out, but uh, between um, high school and, and college, uh, which, which people in the UK quite often do. They have what they call a gap year, and uh, that was that was a challenging time because I was struggling with faith. And then my first year at college, at university, that was a struggle. I remember at the end of my first year, sitting on the windowsill of my room in college, and just just really in tears and asking God, what was I doing here? What, you know, what was this all about? Was this, did this really make sense? Um, and then subsequently, you know, other experiences um, when after I'd done, after I trained, I'd studied theology and I'd been ordained. And then I was looking for a, a, a job in a, a, a theological education because I'd finished a PhD. And 
the job that I was expecting to get didn't work out. And that was another, you know, serious blow and saying, well, I wanted to say to God, will you, do you really know what you're doing with my life here? You know, I, I, I thought I was, I'd done this PhD for a purpose and, you know, this looked like it was going to work really well. And, you know, we thought about where we'd live housing wise and so on. Um, so that was a big blow. And just, you know, I, as I go through the years, time after time, there are things which just haven't worked out the way I'd hoped. And, you know, tested my faith. So I began to realize that this this whole question about does your does your faith have a, a crumple zone? Is there a, is there a do we have the ability? Does our faith have the ability to really absorb the the those kind of knocks and discouragements? Um, I actually realized that it, it had been a really big thing for me, um, and 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 that there are there are things in the way that I'd been nurtured and I'd been taught. I think probably some things in my temperament as well, but but that, that had really helped me to. So that, you know, I didn't have a kind of a rigid chassis type faith, which, you know, c collapsed at the first serious discouragement. Um, and, I, and it seems to me as when I was reflecting about it as a as a teacher and as a church minister, that that there are there are things we can do. There are choices we can make in our churches, both for ourselves as individuals, but also for those of us who've got leadership responsibility. There are things we can do which will help people to nurture themselves in resilient faith and in having faith that can absorb the knocks as well. Mm hmm. Ian, I've got so many questions I want to ask, but I am going to take a very short break. Dr. Ian Paul is my guest, and we're chatting about uh, having a, a faith that has a crumple zone. You're going to want to uh, wait to hear more about this. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Back to the show. I have Dr. Ian Paul on our studio line. He is uh, coming from the UK, which I believe is the having the second hottest day in the history. Mm, it is, and it's uh, <laughs> about 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, 38 degrees Celsius. If you track by Celsius, so he is one sweaty guy today. And with air conditioning, <laughs> I'm very grateful he decided to do this interview. Um, so when we're talking about a crumple zone and um, God has information about our lives that we don't have. So at a certain point, I think, well, I have to trust your sovereignty and wisdom. But when, yeah. we're, when we're training kids up in the church, uh, Ian, we want to make sure there's a solid black and white, uh, a holiness and unholiness, um, things that you want to pursue, things you want to avoid. Does that create a rigid chassis? I think it depends very much on how it's done, Bill. I mean, I think one of the things that I've been struck about in thinking of this this metaphor is that, um, yeah, cars have been built with rigid chassis, and that's been damaging. On the other hand, you, you could build a car where it had no safety cage in it at all, where in an accident it just sort of uh, collapsed. We, when I was a kid, we my parents bought a car called an Austin Allegro, which I don't suppose any of our listeners have heard of, but it had a reputation that when it had an accident. Uh, a front-on collision, the engine would drop neatly into the laps of the front passengers, which wasn't a really good idea. <laughs> and uh, and I think for me that reinforces the fact that, you know, it, it, for cars, they have to have both a crumple zone and they have to have a rigid safety cage for the passengers. You have to have both and. You can't just have rigid chassis and you can't just have, you know, the whole car being a crumple zone. I, and I guess as I reflect on my experience, I think there's a number of things that I was really grateful for for those who taught me and nurtured me, and, and, and not just when I was a, a teenager, but also as a young adult and through through college years, and uh, then in, in in churches, and then through my own my own study of theology as well. Uh, and I think a couple of things. One was that, um, you know, I always experienced teaching which connected with the realities of life. I think there's a real danger sometimes with young people, or maybe just with new Christians, to say, look, 
here's the theory, this is how it works out, here's the package, just go away and do that. You know, just go and take this formula, turn the handle, and this is going to work. And, you know, faith isn't a formula. Um, yeah, we do have formulas in our faith. We, we have creedal statements that we say, but actually they express a relationship and a reality with God. So, so for me, first of all, um, certainly when I think about teaching, I'm really conscious that anything I say has to connect with the real situation. You know, in the article that Laurie Turner wrote that we mentioned earlier, she talked about uh, the purity culture in the church. And I think the thing that concerned me, the thing I noticed in her account was that there was a theory about sexual purity, but it, it didn't really connect with, okay, what are the real struggles practically and, and, and what happens when things go wrong? And, 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 you know, can we ask questions about this? And is there another way to think about it? Now, you know, I think sexual purity is really important, but uh, I, I was really grateful for those who taught me about relationships and said, well, you know, they were honest enough to say, well, this is this is the practical reality. And, and, and these are the challenges. It's not just about taking a package off the shelf. So, so in era, any era of teaching, I think um, I, I've been grateful when other people have taught me in a way that really pays attention to to the reality of the situation. It isn't just it isn't just a formula. Uh, I think that also relates to what is it we're trying to teach people. Um, I'm really struck when I read Paul's letters. And now I think people feel very um, ambivalent about the Apostle Paul. You know, some people say, yeah, you know, he's the best thing since sliced bread. I love Paul's letters and I read them all the time. Other people find him just really baffling. Uh, I think some people see him as a little bit uptight. He's certainly complicated. I love the fact that uh, at the end of one of Peter's letters, he says, you know, uh, Paul writes some really different things that are really difficult to understand. <laughs> and I think everyone goes, yeah, amen. Preach <laughs> that. <laughs> and the reason why actually we find Paul's letters really quite challenging, maybe even quite dense theologically, is that it, I'm really struck by the fact that he never, when he's writing these letters, he never says to people, look, this is the formula. Just believe that. Just trust me on this. He always explains the reason why. He always says, look, okay, so he says to the, he says to the uh, Corinthians, look, sexual holiness matters. But he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't give them a, 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 just to draw a set of lines. He says, can I explain why? I want you to understand. When he talks about spiritual gifts and participation in worship in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, he doesn't just say, do this, do this, do this. He says, look, you need to understand who the Holy Spirit is. This is the way the Holy Spirit operates, why he's doing it. The Spirit is giving different gifts to different people so that all may be blessed, you know, and you just need to understand that. Let me give you an analogy. It's like the, the like a body, you know, you have hands and arms and feet. They're not all the same and you're all different, but you belong to one body. So it's difference in unity. So he's constantly explaining. These aren't highly educated people he's talking to, but he, he's really working hard that they should understand the reason why he's saying what he's saying. And again, for me, that seems to be a really important part of teaching. So we're always saying to people, not just this is what you should do, but but this is why. Do you understand? Do you understand God's love? Do you understand what you know God's goals are for you in your life? Do you understand whatever your occupation is? Do you understand what, what God wants for you there? Do you understand what God wants you in, for, for you in his relationship? Do you, know, do you understand why? So that we're constantly helping people to grow in their understanding. Um, and I, I recognize how other people have helped me to, to do that, to focus not just on what you should do, but, but why you should do it and, and, and opening up that kind of understanding. So in, whenever I'm teaching and preaching, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, encouraging people to, to press through to not just what should we believe, but why should we believe in it? And, and why does it make sense? And why, why is it actually going to make a difference in life? Mm-hmm. I love that, uh, Ian, that we always have to connect teaching to some practical reality, because yeah. I think that's the only way it sticks. Uh, I was yeah, chatting uh, yesterday with an author, and he was uh, talking about this, uh, this uh, high, college student uh, who was yeah being introduced to Christianity. And, and over the course of two months, he went through this little uh, 
analogy. He said, Christians are crazy. They don't have sex. And then he went to saying, <laughs> well, m- maybe, maybe waiting till you get married to have sex isn't such a bad idea, but it's not possible. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. he went to, okay, I hate not having sex, but I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Then he went yeah. to, I've got to stop thinking about something other than sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, sure. fi- he finally got to, I know why Jesus said all these things. Oh, that's why Christians make Easter such a big deal. You, know, you yeah. start to come and you've connected teaching to reality, and it's like, oh, yeah. the lights have come on. Yeah, and and, and that, that's a really good example of saying, look, you know, how does this actually sit with our real experience? I, and for me, what, there's, there's one really easy way to encourage understanding and to connect with real life, and that is to give people a chance to answer, ask questions. So I do, when I'm doing a teaching session, either in a local church or in a group gathering, or sometimes I do it for sort of wider church networks, uh, I always leave space for, for questions. And you know, the, the more controversial the thing you're talking about, mm-hmm. then the more, the more important is you give people space to ask questions. I, I, there's a UK uh, radio uh, station here, Premier Christian Radio, and uh, once a month on a Monday morning, I just spend half an hour and I answer people's questions. So people can phone in or they can write in or they can send a text or whatever. Uh, and, uh, and they can ask any question they like. And, and when I'm in a local church, particularly if I'm visiting another, another church, another congregation, uh, and I'm teaching on something, I'll, particularly if it's difficult, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit crazy. I mean, the two things that I do a lot of teaching about is sexuality, and that's one of the tough things and certainly that we're debating in the church at the moment. And I also teach on the book of Revelation. So I seem to have chosen the two worst topics. But, um, uh, <laughs> but you know, because, because these are all controversial, then I always say, look, you've got, I've said this, but it might not make any sense to you at all. And I need to hear how you're hearing me. And I need to hear whether it's connecting. And I need to hear whether I'm just raising more questions for you. Uh, and sometimes people say, well, I didn't understand, or, or I, I think you're saying this and I'm saying something different, or or sometimes it just doesn't, hasn't made sense to them. So we need to go over it again. But but it's really it's really important to to leave space for asking questions. Mm. Now, having said having said that, I'm also conscious that you know there are some traditions in the church at the moment. Um, uh, I mean, some folk who call themselves progressive, and and when I listen to them, it sometimes seems as though that faith is just nothing but asking questions, and we, we can't know anything <laughs> at all. Uh, and I think the other thing that I've been grateful for, as I thought back on you know my experiences, is that. You know, with a car, the crumple zones are either end, but then you've got this safety cage in the middle. And, and an interesting question is to say, okay, well, if there are things that where we can cope with some knocks, we can cope with questions around this area, are there some things which we say are kind of, well, what's the, what's the core of faith? Um, and that's a really important question. I think alongside people having encouraged me to ask questions, uh, they've also come back and said, okay, look, these are the really key things in faith. And usually they center, center around, certainly in, in, in the UK situation here, the place I would always go to is the historic creeds of the church. Um, a, lot of, a lot of Christians in the UK now don't actually ever say, recite one of the creeds. If you're a, uh, I belong to the Church of England. Actually, formally speaking, if you belong to the Church of England, then in every major church service where you meet together, whatever the style of it, in theory, you're supposed to recite one of the historic creeds. Uh, some people find the language of that quite challenging, particularly if they haven't got a church background. So we do have some alternative statements of faith where we affirm what we believe about God. And in particular, we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord, who died and died on the cross for our sins and was raised for us. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, whom God pours out, who animates uh, the life of the believer and makes God real to us and enables us to call God our Father, just as just as Jesus did. So these are some core things in faith. And 
I mean, one of the things I feel concerned about for the church in the UK is that um, with the growth of sort of more accessible, more informal services, we, we actually neglect to teach people some of these core things. We neglect to teach them some of the core teachings of the Bible. We, we, we neglect to teach them how to read scripture for themselves and some of those disciplines. And, you know, reading scripture does require, requires faith and an open mind, but it also requires some skills and some disciplines uh, to read the scriptures each day and to, to hear what God's saying. So, so it seems to me there's a the really, just as the crumple zone on the car needs the complement of the safety cell, so, you know, our ability, our, our space to ask questions needs the complementary teaching about, you know, what are, the, what are the core truths of the Christian faith. Yeah, and those are settled, and we can go to those every day and remind ourselves of what those yeah. core truths are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we can be in a better position to re- know that we're going to be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for, for doing the show. <laughs> and stay cool. You did spectacularly, considering how hot you are right now. Thank you. I'm going to go and jump in the shower, I think. I have a cold shower. <laughs> That's <what I> mean. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Ian. Great to talk to you, Bill. Yeah. Dr. Thank Ian you. Paul's been my guest. You go over to his website, or you just do a search for him, Dr. Ian Paul, and you'll get right to his website. The website, for those of you who want to get there immediately, is P-S-E-P-H-I-Z-O.com. That wraps up the show for the day and for the week. Thank you so much for being such a great fans of Faith Radio and supporting, listening, caring. We love you. It's now time to uh, ring the bell. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.